I remember uh, reading this article, it was a long time ago, maybe 10 years ago or so. Um, somebody gave it to me. It was in, I think it was in the, the New Yorker magazine, but it was about, pretty interesting article. It was about um, the need for prison reform here in the United States, but it was very, very specific. It was, uh, it focused on um, solitary confinement and how, according to the guy who wrote the article, we're just, we have way too many prisons with way too many prisoners who are in solitary confinement for way too long. Um, and this guy really says essentially it's um, torture. When you, when you separate a person from people uh, in, a, in a big way, in a long-term way, um, it, can be, it can destroy them, really. Uh, and we're doing it too much, way too much, at least according to this, this article. Um, this is the beginning of what he says. Human beings are social creatures. We're social not just in the trivial sense that we like company, and not just in the obvious sense that we need each other and depend on each other. We're also social in a more fundamental way. Simply to exist as a normal, healthy human being requires interaction with other people. Kind of simple point. Um, we need to be around other people. Um, and it gives a couple of examples that kind of make the point, not even connected to prisons. He, uh, he talked about this psychologist who, uh, I guess, kind of made this discovery back in the, in the 1950s. He was studying um, the relationship between mothers and their, their newborn babies. And I guess the question was, how much time should they be spending mothers? What's the right amount of time, the right amount of presence? What's too much? What's not enough? That kind of stuff. Um, so this guy was, uh, he was experimenting, he was using monkeys to, uh, to learn about human behavior. So what he did was uh, got a whole bunch of these newborn monkeys and he immediately, almost immediately separated them from their parent, from their mothers. And very quickly he started to see very, very uh, troubling behavior. They were becoming violent and in some cases withdrawn. Some cases they were, they were just dying. So it was pretty clear, like, take, take a baby away from its mother and you're gonna have trouble. Now, I don't know, that seems like common sense, doesn't it? <laughs> like, um, I think, in fact, I think I even remember reading about, I, mean, I took like an intro to psych class when I was in college. I remember this sounding familiar. Um, but I guess in the 1950s, what the psychologists were saying was, uh, the thought was they were encouraging parents to actually be, to be less affectionate and to be less, uh, show less attention to your, to your babies. And the thought was that would promote kind of more independence. So kind of distance yourself a bit and they'll have to kind of, they'll become more independent. Um, so what this doctor did was, um, this is the part that I remembered. Sounds crazy, but he got a, he made a doll, uh, looked like, like a stuffed monkey, I guess. Um, and he gave each one to these baby monkeys. 
who had been separated. And uh, he said the response was kind of like almost immediate. They started to treat this doll like it was their mother. They were, uh, at night when they, would, when they were sleeping, they would, they would pull the doll close to them. They wanted, to, they wanted it to be touching it. Uh, when they were frightened, they would go running looking for the doll. They said that they even, like if the choice was to be fed or to be spend time with this doll, they were choosing the doll. So, um, anyway, the writer's point was in this article at the prisons is this isn't just a baby thing. Um, this is a human thing. When we, when we are isolated and separated from other people, especially important people, but people in general, we suffer. Bad things happen when we live in isolation. If you remember, um, this guy, his name was Terry Anderson. He was a uh, journalist back in the 80s, and he was kidnapped. He was in uh, Lebanon, and he was held hostage for, I think, seven years, and he wrote a book about it. Eventually, he was released, but he talked about his experience of being a hostage, and he compared there were times when he was uh, in solitary confinement, like a tiny, awful, horrible little cell, and then there were times when he was with three or four other people. And he said, uh, he, he, knew, he, he noticed when he, was in, when he was solitary, he said his mind began to deteriorate. He, uh, he was forgetting things that he never could have imagined forgetting. He was forgetting. So he was losing his memory. He was uh, becoming paranoid. He, had, like, he lost the ability to focus. He had a Bible with him and he, he didn't even want to read the Bible. Like he just couldn't, his mind was sort of crumbling. Um, and then he'd be placed, for whatever the reason, they'd stick him back in a, in a cell with other people. And he said like, I mean, I don't think it was overnight, but he said it was, you could actually, you could totally see the difference. He felt it, he knew it. Like his mind was being restored. This is what he said. He said, I would rather have had the worst companion than no companion at all. Like in other words, nothing was worse than being alone, being isolated, um, according to this guy. POWs during the Vietnam War. I mean, John McCain, this is what he said. He spent two years in solitary. It's an awful thing. It crushes your spirit and it weakens your resistance more effectively than any other form of mistreatment. And this was coming from, this is McCain, coming from a guy who had had, when his plane crashed, his two arms were broken, and they were never given medical treatment. His leg was broken. And then in the course of his torture, his arm was broken again. And he said, the solitary confinement was worse than the, the physical beatings and the torture. Um, so the point of the article, the whole prison thing was, listen, if, if we know that isolation, prolonged isolation is cruel, it's torturous, why are we, why are we subjecting so many of our prisoners to solitary confinement? Like take a troubled person put them off alone, you're gonna make a troubled person worse. 
Now, and they also, it was, I thought it was kind of fair, kind of they, they interviewed prison officials, administrators, and they said, listen, yes, but you also gotta know that there are certain times when you just, we have to isolate. You get certain just impossible to control people, they're gonna, they're gonna hurt other people. So, of course, sometimes it has to happen. But the complaint was, this is becoming like the norm for way, way too many prisoners. And we're paying a, like we're destroying these people. There's no way we are re rehabilitating them. Listen to this, isolation changes the way the brain works, often making individuals more impulsive and less able to control themselves. The mental pain of solitary confinement is crippling. Brain studies consistently reveal impairments and abnormalities in people who were denied social interaction. Plainly put, these, prisons, these prisoners are often losing their minds. In 2010, a 16-year-old named Khalif Browder from the Bronx was accused of stealing a backpack. He was sent to Rikers Island to await trial where he reportedly endured unspeakable violence at the hands of inmates and guards and spent nearly two years in solitary confinement. He was 16, he stole the backpack and he spent two years in solitary confinement. In 2013, he was released, having never stood trial he completed a successful semester at Bronx Community College, but life was a constant struggle to recover from the trauma of being locked up alone for 23 hours a day for two straight years. One Saturday, he committed suicide at home. He was 22 years old. So kind of what's being said is like, or what's sort of a given is, Forced isolation, prolonged isolation, it destroys people. Now, look at the readings today. Look at this first reading, this Old Testament reading from the book of Leviticus, which was just a book of rules. All the, the Hebrew rules, the Jewish rules. And look at what it says about isolation. It's sort of almost pro-isolation. Basically telling people how you have to isolate certain people. In this case, I mean, it, was, it wasn't for a, you know, a crazy reason. People who were sick, and they didn't have knowledge of, of disease the way we do today. So anybody who had leprosy or anything that even looked like her leprosy, unclean, unclean, keep your distance. They had to look different, they had to dress different, and they had to be apart from the people. The, 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 the words they use, I love it, it says, they had to live outside the camp. They couldn't come inside the camp, they had to live outside the camp. After all that, all I'm talking about in this article, about the, 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 the crushing effects of isolation, and now we got religion saying, well this is how you isolate people. Like, you know, sometimes religion just doesn't get it. Sometimes it's like wrong religion, misunderstood religion. This was wrong. 
Now, I'm not saying you don't, come on, we're living in the last year. Like, hey, we've, we've had to quarantine. We've had to separate ourselves. I'm not saying, you know, ignore science. But this was like, you're out. You are outside the camp. That's the first reading. Now you got the gospel. No coincidence, again, these two readings, same day. Jesus basically takes those rules and he flips them upside down. He absolutely throws them out. This isolation stuff, he's like, no. The guy who's the leper, he's breaking the rules too. He's supposed to be keeping his distance. And even when he comes remotely close to somebody, it's supposed to be unclean, stay away. I'm gross, don't come near me. And this guy walks right up to Jesus. He breaks the rule. And Jesus goes with it. Jesus doesn't back away. Jesus doesn't tell him to to get outside the camp. He heals the guy. He touches the guy. And he's no longer outside the camp. We can't let people live outside the camp. And no, and like, (laughs) yeah, the examples I gave were pretty, pretty serious. Like POWs, of course not. And Rikers Island, you know, atrocious conditions in a, in a horrible place. Okay. I mean, how many of us can relate to that? Not so much. Being kidnapped in Lebanon. I mean, none of us, right? But I don't think this gospel is just about stating the obvious. That mothers and fathers should be with their children, their, their newborn children. I mean, that's obvious. But you know what I think? We, we break the spirit of this gospel Kind of a lot. Walk into a high school cafeteria or walk onto a school bus with a bunch of middle schoolers and you can see the lepers. You can see those kids that are just apart. They're outside the camp because, you know, kids create, we create all these mean separating rules. You look, you walk, you talk, you drink, you, you dress different. So you're a part, you're outside the camp. And we don't, we don't use those words, but we do the equivalent, don't we? Talk to somebody who spent time when they were a kid outside the camp, and 30 years later, they speak about it like it happened yesterday because of the pain of it. That's what, all this, what that psychologist realized with, with the monkeys. Well, maybe it's this, maybe it's okay, oh, well, you're right, you're, you're absolutely right about a cafeteria, but I'm, at, I'm way out of high school. How about at work? You know, somebody, somebody starts their first day of work. Man, am, are, are we, uh, uh, am I the person that like seeks that guy or girl out? They don't know what they're doing, they don't know where anything is, they clearly look anxious. They're struggling, they're brand new, they're outsiders. Do I invite them in? Do I make it an effort to kind of like seek them out and be like, hey, what can I do for you? This is, this is who I am. Any, got any questions, come ask me. Don't you love those people? I mean, they're the people you remember. And I think that's part of what this gospel is saying. How about somebody who you've thrown out of the camp? Somebody that we've just said, I just can't be bothered anymore. You're done, you're done. They've done something, they've acted in some way, probably more than once, and somewhere along the line we just said, you're outside the camp. 
you're kind of unclean. I can't deal with you anymore. And I, you know, come on. Sometimes in the course of life, I think there are circumstances where a relationship is so toxic, it's like, I just can't be around this person anymore. This relationship has got to be over. I, I get it. I'm not talking about that. That's like, that's, that's healthy. I'm talking about, I mean, you know people, we all know people who are like, when they decide they're done with a person, like they're dead. Like they don't even consider the possibility of reform, of return. You're finished. Well, you know what? Uh, that's not this gospel. It's not Jesus. I don't think we could be comfortable with that. Maybe it's about ourselves, feeling lousy about yourself because of something I've done, some, I, I, I was so not myself and I regret whatever it was. And I kind of think like even God has sort of thrown me outside the camp. No, he hasn't. Does that mean the read? Of course, there's right and there's wrong. There's a way to live. There's a, a right way to live, a wrong way to live. Sin is real and so is judgment. But nobody is outside the camp. This is what uh, President Obama said this a couple of years ago. Was, he was still in office and he, he was pushing for reforms with the prisons. He said, in America, we believe in redemption. We believe, in the words of Pope Francis, that every human being is endowed with inalienable dignity. How great is that? I mean, I wish he included all people, like unborn people. But let's see what he says. Every human being is endowed with an inalienable dignity. And society can only benefit from the rehabilitation of those convicted of crimes. That was the Pope. That was the president quoting the Pope. Now this is the president. We believe that when people make mistakes, they deserve the opportunity to remake their lives. And if we can give them the hope of a better future and a way to get back on their feet, then we will leave our children with a country that is safer and stronger and worthy of our highest ideals. In other words, this gospel today. For Jesus, there was nobody outside the camp. If there wasn't for him, there can't be for us.